0: This is the Quantum Biology Podcast, where we break down the practical health applications of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. In this episode, we go deep into the quantum biologic perspective on mental health and the gut-brain axis with Dr. Kelly Ritter. Former professor and practicing anxiety coach, Kelly has a PhD in counseling, is trained in nutrition for mental health, and is certified by the Quantum Biology Collective. Kelly is also the host of the Nourished Soul podcast, where she has an excellent series on quantum health, highly recommend. In this conversation, we walk through the journey between physical and mental well-being and how regulating our circadian biology is so key to healing both. Kelly explains how suppressing emotions can make us sick and how watching the sunrise helps make the world feel safer. If you've ever suffered from anxiety or depression, this podcast is an absolute must listen. Enjoy. Welcome, Kelly. I'm so excited. I feel like it's been months and months (laughs) that we've been trying to have this conversation. I'm so happy to be finally having it.
1: Yes, I'm so excited to be here. I always love talking to you, Meredith. So we'll see (laughs) see where this goes. (laughs)
0: We'll see where it goes. Same here, (laughs) Kelly. It's like just always so fun. And we end up in the the most interesting places. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'd like for everyone to sort of get a sense of who you are, where you're coming from. Um, You have a background in counseling and nutrition, and now you are... You have uh, graduated from applied quantum biology certification. So back up, if we sort of backed up into your counseling days, could you sort of give us an overview of what type of work you did and what that was like?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. So for me, I got an undergrad in psych because that's where I could get all A's. And I minored in theater and then you graduate, you go, know, what kind of work am I going to do? And I had a really great professor that said, I think you'd like counseling because you're more human potential oriented. Mm. I didn't love the pathology orientation of yeah. psychology and I didn't, at the time, I had no idea that there was people, there were people doing research on happiness and positive psychology. I didn't know any of that at the time. So I ended up in counseling, but never really wanting to be a counselor. But mm-hmm. I loved everything I was learning. I loved the professors. And I ended up, um, I really loved children. I've always loved children and families. So I ended up getting a bunch of, I got a master's and EDS and a PhD all in counseling and focused mostly on child, adolescent and family counseling. And did, I was a play therapist and um, which I loved. And then I was a professor. So I ended up... Um, I wrote a book and a DVD all in that too. And then I decided I wanted to teach. And so I was a professor in counseling for master's and, and, um, graduate level. So master's and PhD level students. And I taught play therapy and family therapy and, um, all kinds of stuff. It was fun. That's
0: fabulous. By the way, I was a theater major, so maybe <laughs> <laughs> funny the outlets that we find. Uh-huh. Um, so what was your Ph.D. in? Was it in play therapy or related counseling? So counseling, at the time, okay. it's
1: now called clinical mental health counseling at the time. It was called um, um, just counseling. Um, so it was an um, accredited program and I studied all different kinds of things. Yeah. And then I but I did my internships with children and families and my research was all around working with children and families and parenting. So I thought parenting was really gonna be my area, Mm -hmm. which is how I got involved with Brene Brown and understanding shame resilience because I was really interested. My research was mainly on how to create environments that were more likely to help children and adults, but help children and teens become these resilient, flourishing, young adult people.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. And that is such a, I remember being a parent when my children were younger and sitting in on a resilience talk at my children's school, just being like, tell us, tell us. So give us, could you give some insights sort of from from your work and all of your experience on what shame resilience does look like? Sure.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I loved, I still love all of that. Right. Um Yeah. So shame resilience. What's interesting about shame is that we're not actually trying to get rid of shame. Like some people will often say, Oh, I used to have a lot of shame, but now I don't. (laughs) It's like, we're not actually trying to get rid of it. It's, it's sometimes useful and, but it's different from guilt. So often people will get confused between guilt and shame Mm -hmm. and guilt really is somewhat motivating because we can look at something that we did some behavior, or we stayed up, went to whatever kind of concert, had a 6 a.m. meeting and you're beating yourself up at 6 a.m. going, oh, should not have had the night I had. Um, But the guilt is I made a mistake kind of self-talk. And it Mm -hmm. feels very much like I made a mistake. I can correct it. Shame is much more insidious. It's a Mm -hmm. little deeper and it's, I Mm -hmm. am a mistake. Mm. So if your self-talk is really more uh, like, I always do this. I'm such a screw up. I, you know, that's a different message, but often we're, we don't label shit. We don't even, we don't even know that we're in a shame storm when we're in it, especially as parents, like you get, I don't know, the email that says you're the only parent that didn't turn in, (laughs) right? And you're in a shame storm before you even know what has hit you. So the idea for shame resilience is that we know We call it what it is. We recognize it. We're like, oh, I'm in shame right now. And to be able to reach out to somebody who's earned the right to hear it, our story, to to, when shame is met with empathy, Mm -hmm. it just dampens it down, right? It can't really survive in that. It's when we shove it down and we keep shoving it down and it just becomes this secret and it's insidious in that way. So, but once it's out in the light and it's met with another human being that says, uh uh-huh, yeah, I get it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you're that parent today. Okay. Yeah, I've been, yeah. Like that me too kind of feeling of, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I'm not alone. Somebody else understands this, but also there's a ton of research too on this, but being able to recognize when we're in some kind of emotion and then what we need. So what do I need right now and how can I get that? How can I either ask for that or take care of myself in this way? So that's what shame resilience is. It's similar to any other kind of resilience, anxiety, resilience, fear, resilience, all of that.
0: And I would imagine the tricky part with shame is that um, unlike, say, sadness or maybe even anxiety, you might feel like you don't deserve to have your needs met in that moment, like I am yeah. such a screw up. I'm such a failure. Like I can't believe I did that. Like I'm not going to try and look for empathy because I don't I don't deserve it.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And that's how it goes underground. Right? right? Just hang on to these things. And what was interesting in the, you know, the early research when i was looking into all of the research it's we don't need at first we need somebody else some some messages in society some teacher somebody even jokingly telling us that we're a screw up or we're not worthy or something but pretty soon we don't need another human being we beat up on ourselves plenty right and i'm more concerned about the little you know little sarah who doesn't tell anyone, she has a bad experience at school, the teacher embarrasses her in front of everyone. That could just be embarrassing. If she then goes home and says, you will not believe what that witch did to me today, gets it all out and is met with empathy. That turns into really not much, just this thing that happened. But when she embeds that into who she is and her belief Mm -hmm. about her worthiness and doesn't tell anyone because what's there to tell? I mean, she's the screw up right and so then it becomes a part of this unconscious way of being in the world that is not very helpful
0: right because mm-hmm. I would also imagine um and I you know speak from experience personally and seeing other people it's like if if we're almost if we're if it's so internalized we're, we kind of want to also avoid it so that we become people who cannot accept when we have made a legitimate mistake, and we do need to say, "Oh, made the wrong call there," or "Sorry about that." It becomes very difficult because exactly. it's like a life or death. Like that's yeah. how it used to feel for me. Like I, if if I'm wrong, I'm dead.
1: Right. Exactly. <laughs> I, yes. Yeah, exactly. I'm. I completely understand that feeling. Yes. Hmm. That's exactly it. And that's what we don't want for our kids. Right. I mean, we don't want it for anyone, but that was a lot of my work. It was trying to work on language and how we interact with our kids and um, what kind of environment do they need? And little did I know, they need quantum health strategies. Yes. (laughs) They need Right. Because from a quantum
0: perspective, if we're internalizing shame all of the time, like that's a frequency
1: that is a frequency yeah and that's going to create what we call you know disruption in the system so that quantum coherence that we're always talking about this communication that's going all through the fascia all through our bodies that's the that's the frequency that we're running and and you might be running other frequencies too like right? yes. you can yes. see how depleted we get just from this underground emotion
0: like it's right. like, oh okay. Right. Cause it requires quite a lot of energy to maintain like to keep these things buried. Is yeah. that like you gotta be continuously <laughs> pushing down and laying the cement and pushing down and laying the cement.
1: Exactly. It takes a ton of energy, way more energy to feel miserable than to feel great, which is <laughs> you know, which it, when you're miserable, you never think that's the way it's going to be yeah. so freeing and that it actually is easy to feel better. Um, but it doesn't feel that way when you're in the trenches and you've layered you've pushed down and yeah. layered concrete and pushed down and layered concrete,
0: yeah, because mm-hmm. those thoughts feel so heavy. It's like i mm-hmm. and and they don't feel like a choice. They just are there all the time like, like an overcast day in your exactly. mind perpetually.
1: Yes. Yeah. Which is why when we shed light, right, literally mm-hmm. we're putting light into our bodies, on our skin, through our eyes, you're actually breaking through a lot of that, but then you're also able to have the energy to see a little bit clearer, to, to get yourself to a different place.
0: Right. So you were, so you did. Okay. It just, <laughs> brought us here. So little did, did we know we needed quantum health strategies. So for somebody who's like, what is this lady talking about? How is going outside in my bare feet and getting some sun going to help with my internalized shame or depression or anxiety or whatever else is weighing us down. Okay. Yeah. Walk, walk us through.
1: Yeah. It took me, I will say, it's taken me a long winding road to get here. And so I get that these simple things about being in harmony with our natural environment, it just seems like that certainly isn't going to cure my chronic anxiety. But I promise it really is going to be a big piece in that foundational puzzle because light is foundational for our health. So our natural environment, the more we can be in harmony, um, synchronized, there's, there are probably other words, right? The more that our body is going to be able to handle the stresses in our lives. We're designed that way. We're very resilient creatures. So the light is actually the piece I think that's missing in mental health. I would say light and circadian rhythms. I don't even think I can separate those two now. Mm -hmm. And when you look at the literature in circadian, the circadian rhythms related to, um, mental health, There's a lot of information, but it's almost written, it's not almost, it's written in a way that these disorders like bipolar and chronic anxiety and depression cause the circadian disruption. But I'm, I'm like, Mm. that's from a quantum biology perspective. It really, because when, because when we fix your life to support your circadian rhythms and you get the light environment, right? then you start having more energy. Your sleep is better. Your anxiety starts to just naturally be where it should be, which is you're anxious when you've got something that that is clearly a reason to be anxious and it doesn't overwhelm you. It doesn't overtake you. You ride it just like you ride any other wave of emotions. So just like Shane, we're not trying to get rid of all these things. These are signals to the body. These are signals. Like there's, There's something going on. And so we want to pay attention to them. But the light and the circadian rhythms, I think, is the place to start when you have mental health issues. I think that's the place that we've all been. I think a lot of what we've done done in mental health counseling is helpful, especially in the world of trauma and somatic experiencing, all very helpful. It's just missing a big chunk of this foundational, like we can get people to feel much better and have some improvement, but not cured. Often we're missing big chunks of of things. And for me, I got really interested in gut health. And so I think that is a big piece. Light is important for gut health. And now I'm like, oh, from a quantum perspective, it makes a lot more sense that the more we are synchronized with our natural environment, our food, the light, our walking around getting those free electrons from the earth's surface. That is huge for us. That's like money in the bank to the body, right? (laughs) Those are the things that really move the needle so that people can have optimal health. Because if you're after optimal health, you have got to address your circadian rhythms. You've got to fix your life so you're supporting your circadian rhythms. And eventually you're going to figure out that you absolutely have to help your mitochondria. So all roads sort of lead back to these subatomic particles. (laughs) Yes. You know, so.
0: Yes. And then like by the same token, if somebody is fully circadian optimized, but living in an unwell mental state, they could Likely benefit from some cognitive behavioral therapy or something.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, I'm used to seeing the opposite, right? Like people that can make it so far. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, And,
0: and it's finding that missing piece.
1: It's finding whatever the missing piece is. So, yes, of course. I think therapy, the reason therapy is so helpful is when you find the right match. It's really about frequency, so when you find yeah. the right match of a good therapist for you, mm-hmm. it is a frequency match. So the places where you're depleted energetically, they are strong, and they may be depleted in another area, but you're yes. still there, so it doesn't matter. So
0: it doesn't matter. Oh, I love that way of looking at it.
1: Any because, practitioner, yes. not just a therapist, yes. a doctor, anything, any yeah, body worker, whatever match, right. To be companioned is very helpful when you're on a healing journey, whether that is um, some kind of group or therapist or a a practitioner of some sort, very helpful. I don't think that we were meant to to heal alone. And that just doesn't, Yeah, it's not the way we were designed.
0: Yeah, it doesn't seem possible the way, yeah, as humans, we need each other.
1: Yeah. And sometimes that might be the missing piece. Like they're optimized, circadian rhythms are optimized, but they're missing connection, you know, um, human social. And I think, you know, I've been reading a lot about circadian rhythms and when we socialize, that's a circadian signal too. Like when Mm. we have social time, and I did not pick up on that when I was first learning about circadian rhythms, I was about the light and when to eat and when to exercise. And, you know, you get real focused on the light and the dark, but it also is, we're social creatures. So some social contact is important for our overall, our overall health too.
0: Does it get to the level of understanding what a good time of day to socialize is, or is it just having that interaction? I haven't
1: seen like, there's gotta be,
0: right? I feel like- I mean, I would imagine from an evolutionary standpoint, it would be- during the day, early evening, meal times. We probably say- didn't sit by the fire all night long, right? No, as ancient humans, we right. did for a period of time. That's right. so interesting, but that's true. And I think, oh yeah, we were talking about this. I think on Instagram Live we did of how, yeah, just seeing people that you know in the neighborhood when you're out walking around is a, is a signal, safety, a, a safety, safety sig- signal and socializing mm-hmm. is a safety signal. Like there, I can be with other people and it's safe and good. And yes, work.
1: Yeah. I was just yeah. thinking 50 things just flew through my head. But okay. I'm glad that we brought that up, Meredith, because safety signals, the first thing I learned as a trauma therapist was create safety. Like you have to create a therapeutic relationship is really key, but you have to create safety. And then we called it resourcing. So Mm -hmm. we would teach the client um, skills for regulating their nervous system. And so that when they were having a bad day or they had chronic anxiety or a trigger came up or whatever, they had some tools to work with that. And that was even before you start doing the intense trauma work. And right. I love that kind of having tools that work for people when they work, they work beautifully, but that you can't miss the piece of the safety signals. And what we were missing or I think what we're missing in trauma counseling, is the safety signals from nature. Yes. You get so many safety signals from being in nature and people sometimes have to make up with mother earth and, and nature. They're mm-hmm. afraid of her. They're afraid of the sun. They're afraid of being outside. They're afraid of the bugs and the snakes and the whatever getting them. And so you have to work with that and realize that those safety signals are really important to your whole system. And and especially if you, I don't know who doesn't have some trauma, but if you're working on trauma, you've got to make sure that you have those, this connection to earth and connection to to nature is an important piece that I think we sometimes miss when we talk about resourcing in.
0: Yeah. In I would say we probably always miss it.
1: <laughs> 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 I don't
0: <laughs> remember, I don't know a lot of, yeah, therapeutics tools where they recommend, I mean, maybe on the more spiritual end, but certainly like when you go to see a therapist, they don't yeah. talk to you about getting morning sunlight and right. uh, your feet on the earth.
1: Mm -hmm. And the morning sunlight. I didn't understand the science. I just started going out at sunrise because I heard that was good for me. And so and so sometimes people don't even need to understand the science, but the science is pretty incredible. I mean, you're actually that early morning light, you're setting the tone for the whole day, with the different, the circadian rhythms. So you're getting information from the frequencies of light that's available outside. does not even have to be a sunny, beautiful day. Those light frequencies are available. And when we go outside, we get the frequencies. And that's telling your body, you're orienting to the time of day, the season that you're in, and this packing up of melatonin, releasing of cortisol, all these things that need to happen, making serotonin. So that you can actually feel good, your hormones, your neurotransmitters, all of that signaling starts by getting out, getting in natural light in the morning. So it's really, I can't. I mean, it's so simple, but it's like we never. I never learned that. I didn't teach that as a counselor educator. Didn't know to teach that. So, wow. mm-hmm.
0: it's amazing, and it when you explain what what the sunlight. Is doing, it sounds like when people tell you why you might need to take a antidepressant or something, right? Like it's, it's, we recognize that those things are missing. So then we go to correct it with um, drugs, a non a natural intervention, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is never going to. Well, it's always
1: going to come with effects. Yeah. Sometimes the one you want and some that you don't want, we call them side effects, but really they're just effects of, of the drug that you're taking. Right. And, you know, the relationship with the sun becomes really important. I've noticed when I do a light protocol for clients that have chronic anxiety, mm-hmm. and we just kind of start where we can start whatever they're willing to do in this light protocol, but taking light breaks Getting outside for light during the day, getting out in morning light, UVA light is really important for mood and focus. So we just start wherever they can start, but they start to realize that it it becomes this spiritual practice for them—the relationship with the sun. And there is something I, you and I have talked. I've told you, no matter what we're doing, no matter you know what ridiculousness that humans are doing on the planet, the sun rises for us every day and we need we cannot thrive without natural light all organisms on the planet we evolved with light we need natural light in order to thrive and we just somehow live not knowing that and when you reconnect and you really work on your relationship with the sun and i think at some point i was like i'm just going to rule my day with the sun i'm going to see if i can let nature help heal my body, help heal me. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to just work my day around when the sun's up and when the sun's down, I'm going to stop working, which is so hard. Um, even with blue blockers, I still am really trying to just stop when it's dark. Yeah, And when I can get clients to do that and they make this new relationship with the sun, it really helps them spiritually. And these are sometimes people who aren't even that spiritual, but it's doing something for their soul.
0: Wow. Mm -hmm. That's really amazing. So tell me a little bit more about what you've noticed working with. So people come to you working with, I'll just finish my sentence, people with anxiety (laughs) disorders. Yeah. So people come to you as for counseling and nutrition, and now also like the foundational piece of the quantum health strategies. So uh, I think, which is a little different than someone just going straight for physical symptoms. So, tell me what you've noticed since you've started incorporating this into your practice. Well, there's
1: people that were having some improvement when we were mm-hmm. just doing um and I quit doing psychotherapy and just was focusing on nutritional therapy because I felt like that was the piece that was missing. And I can work with people globally that way. and um, and what I noticed is that we could get them just so far. You know, right. they had improvement. They were still having anxiety. and It's not like you're trying to get rid of it completely. But I think the thing that really would upset people is it felt like it would come out of nowhere. You know, Mm -hmm. you're just, you know, vacuuming out the back of the car and all of a sudden you're in a panic attack. And it just felt like it was coming from nowhere. And when I added the quantum health practices and started teaching that to people and I changed the way I do my intake. So I'm asking about how much time people spend outside. What is their light environment? Most people don't even know, they're like light environment. What do you mean by light environment? Um, they don't really know it, but we just made little changes like cracking the window on your way to carpool, um, (laughs) and opening a window or going out for the, the anxiety. They saw a big difference in a reduction of their anxiety symptoms. And a a lot of the people who come to me actually have seasonal affective disorder too. Mm -hmm. So they just notice in the seasons. And so they pretty much avoid winter they are just get through it. And I said, we're going to embrace winter. We're going to, your diet is going to, we're going to match your diet to what's available in winter. We're going to, you're going to get outside even on crappy snowy days. And it made a huge difference. Like people did not realize they do not need a sunny, gorgeous summer day to feel better. Their mood could actually improve just by being out in the crappy weather that they're in.
0: Right. Yes. That was a huge one for me as well. Um, because we minimize even further our time spent outside and it was a revelation to me that you can get enough light to not get depressed in the winter. If you spend enough time outside, (laughs) right. It's like, right. Really? Because yeah, it just, it just feels like, Oh no, there's just not enough sun. You're too bad for you. Right.
1: And the other thing that's really changed, so I've been super into gut health, right? For for a long time. And what I just didn't realize is that leaky gut or intestinal permeability, which creates all these different problems for people, anxiety and depression being one of them. When we heal the gut, we could get just so far by changing the the food. Mm -hmm. But when I realized it's really a circadian rhythms issue and we started working on circadian rhythm, then people could eat more stuff and not have problems. And people are really excited about that. Yes. Yes. Avoiding certain things in your diet can, you know, greatly reduce your anxiety. People mood is related to food, but they're really excited when they don't have to limit it so much because they're getting all the quantum health strategies online. Now they have more variety They can, you know, and more seasonally. Now we're eating for our mitochondria. Like, okay, I want to orient my body and the sun, you know, so just having sun, some people won't get sunlight on their abdomen. So we use red light (laughs) panels. Like, (laughs) get it? It's okay. Um, Now I'm out there and like practically nothing. I would be out there and nothing if my neighbors couldn't see me. So because you realize how important the sunlight is for diversifying the microbiome. And to match your food with the light is really helpful. But for people who have mental health issues, getting red light infrared is is really important. And that red light on the abdomen and infrared going deeper to diversify that
0: microbiome, I mean, that's
1: huge for people. That alone can help people's moods.
0: It's amazing. It's so amazing. Okay, so from a from a circadian perspective, we talked about how the early morning light, all the benefits that has um, on mood, energy, hormones, and everything. So now you've raised digestion. So could you talk a little bit more about the relationship between digestion and circadian rhythms, especially as it pertains to gut issues? Because um, I know. Most people think if you have gut issues, the only option is a highly, highly restricted diet. And that's kind of it.
1: Right. Right. Which I and I didn't think of restrictive so much as I started learning. Um, well, that we could go way down that rabbit hole, but we'll just stick with circadian rhythms. So when we eat is actually a circadian signal. And a lot of people are super into fasting and keto. And I'm I'm not opposed to any of that, but what we were all doing was kind of messing up our natural rhythms of the day by eating later in the day. So what I've had people do is shift earlier. So they eat and it can be small and it can be fat and protein is awesome or even just fat in the morning. Sometimes I just eat grass fed butter (laughs) at sunrise. And so eating closer to sunrise and then stopping your eating before sunset, if possible, it's really, but no snacking and all this, the late night kind of stuff. It's terrible for our gut health and digestion. First of all, that was giving you, now you're getting a full 12 hours at least to digest everything in your system. And there's some pretty good research that 12 hours is is key, but now your body can do all the other things that it needs to do in the evening. It helps with digestion, just moving it earlier in the day. And often people don't even have to change what they eat and their Mm -hmm. digestion will get better. Sometimes with severe, like Crohn's colitis, IBS, we do have to change the food, Mm -hmm. but for mood, people have noticed that they don't have to be as strict with their food. If they just get the circadian signaling, right?
0: Right. So Mm -hmm time of when we eat is really important so correct having it line up with the light cycles yes. and then you talked about um getting the the light on your abdomen infrared light ideally from the sun but if that's that's a no-go then you could use a red light panel so talk a little bit about what that's doing so that
1: research is just fascinating, right? Because you don't see it in the gut, that gut health gurus have not picked up on this yet. You will not see this anywhere else because they haven't figured this out. They're still talking about diversifying the diet, which irritates me because if it's not seasonally appropriate, it's just gonna confuse your mitochondria. So that's nonsense, first of all. But this light, the the, the infrared light diversifying so that just makes sense that our body, the way that we evolved, when there were going to be other plants for us to eat, when spring came along and summer, then we had more UV light, we had more daylight hours, we were in the sun more, and that would naturally diversify our gut so that we could handle more of the plant foods. So we can biohack that, And I think for people who have a lot of gut issues and almost always where there are mental health issues, there are gut health, there's digestive stuff going on. So in order to repair, not only do we have to match the food so that we're actually helping your mitochondria orient, but that can be, that's what we want to be doing with the light. And that's just
0: fascinating. It's so fascinating. Mm -hmm. So talk a little bit more about the connection between the mental health and the gut. Because there's also um I had a guest on recently, Nico Kennedy, who is yeah. does circadian pregnancy, right? And she was talking about how almost every mental illness from schizophrenia to Alzheimer's is correlated, there's no causation yet, with bad sleep. Yeah. So that's what so you So that said. would tie in, mm-hmm. right, with having digestive issues um, mm-hmm. and sleep issues and mental health issues all
1: all of it. And circling that's together. You see, you see that mostly in the research on circadian rhythms, you'll see they tie a lot of mental health issues with sleep. And I did a, I did a little reel yesterday. Not everybody has sleep issues. A lot of people will have sleep issues, but just because you don't have sleep issues, doesn't mean you don't need to fix your circadian rhythms because a lot of us don't even realize how much better our sleep could be when we start fixing the light. But Yes, there is a big correlation between, well, lack of sleep, disrupted sleep. So Mm -hmm. waking, not being able to fall asleep, waking in the middle of the night, most people are waking up super groggy. And so that's why they don't Mm want to get out into the light in the morning because they didn't sleep well. And it is difficult, but you have to make yourself do it. You have to drag yourself over to a window or a door and open it because you've got to reset Those You've got to get things turned around. You've got to um, support your circadian rhythms. But there is a big, um, all of that makes sense because of when things are firing, neurotransmitters, all of that. But most of the neurotransmitters are made in the gut. So when your gut is all disrupted, your sleep is all disrupted, you're going to have issues mentally. That just makes sense. The brain and the gut are, which is interesting, in utero The tissues that then divide, one becomes the brain, one becomes the gut, or not one, but those tissues divide. Mm -hmm. And their vagus nerve, which connects the brain and the gut, and the vagus nerve is the longest nerve in the body, and it wanders through all the other organs. So this, and guess what it's made of? Because if you really start looking at the vagus nerve, fascia, our our fascia, Uh. I, I learned it fascia, and now I'm saying fascia. So right Really
0: quantum. The quantum superhighway. Super highway,
1: <laughs> super, quantum superhighway. So, the communication instantaneously all along, and the better, you know, um, the more supported our mitochondria are, but also that we're looking for exclusion zone water, right? That's what's yeah. lining the inside and the outside. And, and that's what helps with that communication.
0: Right. So and all of the practices you've just outlined support the production of the exclusion zone water.
1: Correct. Right. That's really, you start to, to realize it all comes back to the mitochondria, right? Because the mitochondria are making the water and the water <laughs> in the body, it's it then becomes this exclusion zone water, which is structured water. It's the fourth phase That um, Pollock figured out the fourth Mm -hmm. phase of water, it's more like a gel and it's everywhere in the body. That's what's exciting is that um, it's, you know, and this communication. And so when we get stuck, the way that we were all taught is more of like we're chemical beings and there are these chemical reactions. And so, and that's happening mechanical, chemical, it's just not nearly, uh, it doesn't give you a complete picture of what's actually happening. So in mental health, when you're like, oh, okay. So this communication that's going on, we wanna make sure that our mitochondria have everything they need to be able to make the special water and of course our ATP, which is energy. And most people that have mental health issues are freaking worn out. They have fatigue because it is exhausting to keep running. Either the anxiety, depression, roller coaster or an ang- just more on the anxiety side or depression, it's bipolar, it's all exhausting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Life is a long, difficult slog every day. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Yes. And it feels so, like a treadmill that you're yes, like,
0: Can yes. I Which get doesn't do much to improve mental health when you feel like you're stuck mm-hmm. on a misery treadmill.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And the way off of it, yes, therapy, yes, you know, food can be a big piece, but not nearly as important as quantum health strategies. That's going to be what really gets you so that you're not waking up every day saying, ah, this again, like more of the same, just that treadmill.
0: Yes. And so the quantum health strategies, I'm going to Uh, (laughs) circle back to the structured water for a minute. So the quantum health strategies are supporting our mitochondria to make this structured water, which is something that is very in scientific terms, quite a new discovery. So again, no one's really talking about it. So what does it mean? What would you say the significance is of that structured water and realizing how important it is to, to support the creation of it?
1: Yeah. Well, so a lot of people know that dehydration, mm-hmm. like when you're dehydrated and you think of like you're drinking water, I'm dehydrated. That can cause anxiety, depression that can cause mental health. Think of your entire body. It's not like the sloshy water in the drink, but cellular dehydration, like having um, no water, like your whole body is just, you know, basically dying for right. like, To be hydrated by this now what we know is exclusions in water. So you want to do everything you can to have hydrated, intracellularly hydrated so that your cells are hydrated. And just drinking water isn't going to do it. You've got to have the other quantum strategies, the quantum health strategies in place to not only... So that you have the inputs that you're yes. to need to be able to make it. But you can also expand that exclusion zone water. The light becomes really important for expanding that. And exclusion zone, what Carrie Bennett has taught me, right, is mm-hmm. that we, that expanding that exclusion zone, it literally blocks out anything that's not supposed to be in there won't be in there. And it creates this nice barrier. Plus, it creates enough energy to light a light bulb when you have electrons where they need to go and this line of protons where they need to go. It's this beautiful um, source of energy that we can utilize.
0: Right. And mm-hmm. we could utilize for healing. Healing.
1: So yeah. We go
0: to a therapy session with a, with a regulated circadian system. We're mm-hmm. going to have a much different experience than we're than if we've been on the misery treadmill.
1: Yeah. And your brain is going to work better. You're just going to yeah. see things differently. The fog will lift. The insomnia will lift. And mm-hmm. then you're more able to see things, get honest, honest, to get honest about your crap. I mean, yeah, it's just easier to yes. move through life.
0: Yes. And yeah. feel safer.
1: Feel safer.
0: Yeah. I mean, before, because- yeah to to have a traumatized person feel safe is like quite a lot of work, <laughs> but so I would imagine if that person is doing a whole bunch is doing all of these strategies and at least creating that foundational cellular safety, it would be easier to move them into that therapeutic space that you were talking about earlier, that therapeutic safety space
1: right and then a lot of these strategies um you know, sometimes people feel like they have more anxiety when they do breath work and it's supposed to help your so right. some things that are very healing to the body, like even bone broth. And they, they it's very disruptive for somebody with anxiety. Like somebody will start taking collagen because they hear collagen is good for them and good for their gut. And they actually increase their anxiety. Well, collagen is what makes up the fascia. So just having more. Oh,
0: so you're just speeding up the anxiety signals. Oh yeah. my God. Oh, shit.
1: yeah. So people are, like, yeah. And then, and the nutrition people were all like, yeah, have collagen, you get more collagen. You're like, no, 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 we have,
0: to but have we're collagen. just like amplifying a super highway. That's carrying toxic messages. Exactly.
1: <gasps> oh, I know. Believe me when I, every time I read some of your hair, I'm like, Oh, Okay. And if you're not working, if you don't have enough of the exclusion zone water, if you're depleted and basically dehydrated internally, then that all you're doing is adding more collagen, you're not, you're not, you're not working on the thing there. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Right. So it's like improving the messaging system, but the messages are not good. Right. Whereas when the, when the structured water is in place, Mm -hmm. the messages are different.
1: Yeah, and the more safety signals. So when we have more safety signals and our 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 body's not on fire, you Mm -hmm. know, inflammation and everything starts to calm down. We have more safety signals. Everything's communicating better. We're more hydrated, cellularly hydrated. Yeah, and I and I do know the thoughts, emotions, behaviors all important. So wherever you want to start, it's fine. Like it's, it's fine. But a lot of people will like me. Thoughts, I'll do thoughts and behaviors. Let's not talk about emotion. But you've got to, the emotions are running. Yes. And so right. some people have done a lot behaviorally. They've mm-hmm. gotten their circadian rhythms figured out. They're doing, they're seeing sunrise, even if they don't know why. <laughs> they're <just laughs> yeah. doing the things and they're starting to feel better, but they're shoving, they've got emotion or trauma that's all shoved down. Um, like we started talking about, yeah. like shame. And it's still running the show and right, it's got to be brought to the light and it's not to, it won't swallow you. Usually people are like, oh, I can't bring it up. It'll mm-hmm. swallow me. And yeah. I've never seen that actually happen when we bring yeah. it up to the light and it's met with light and empathy, then it just loses its power.
0: It doesn't yeah. hold on like you. a wave, like on the beach when that wave comes in and you think, It'll pull you under, but it just passes, and then it goes.
1: Yeah. yeah, and there are times and places to do that. I think there are reasons that we shove things down and we per- mm-hmm. try to protect ourselves, and in in some ways, that's a survival mechanism, and it's yeah. great that we have it. But when it is no longer useful and it's disrupting right. your life, that's why your body will give you signals like chronic anxiety or right. depression yes. to say I'm out of balance. You need to look at me.
0: Yes, you need to find that a safe space and get vulnerable, so you can come back out into the world. Uh Because I do, I do feel like a little bit society is pushing every place in the world to be a therapeutic safety space, and I'm like, it's not going (laughs) to happen. I know. I think that it's like, oh, therapeutic safety spaces are good. Everywhere should be a therapeutic safety space, (laughs) and it's like, well, I don't know.
1: Yeah, now we've gotten. I don't think we quite understand the importance of nature and that we are nature Mm -hmm. and we are light. So we need the light to help orient us. And I just, I think it's going to be a little while, but I think once people start to see that, you know, and when we have, we're in charge of our own safety signals, like all I have to do is walk outside or even see pictures, even seeing pictures of nature, send safety signals. Seeing people do something nice for somebody else. So then you start to go, okay, well, where am I what am I spending most of my time watching, listening to, watching what am I exposing myself to? And you get a little pickier Mm -hmm. about what's in your environment. And then yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Right. Because we are yeah, absorbing all of that and creating thoughts and creating frequencies out of it. Frequencies. Mm Yep. Yeah. Cause, um, I think, so I think it's really interesting and sort of, I'm interested in like how people come into their healing. Cause in my experience personally, and in others I've witnessed, like we, we tend to obviously come in through the door that's causing us the most pain. Mm -hmm. Yep. (laughs) And then as that pain is alleviated, we either back off or just kind of stay there without recognizing, like, maybe there's some other areas. So like, for me, I'm like very comfortable in my head. Right. So I always like gravitate towards the, the mental healing strategies, but things like, where is your body and time and space? Like how much are you going outside? Like all of those more physically oriented. Like I had to experience chronic fatigue at a really intense level before I was willing to shift <laughs> into these other modalities. But I have interviewed people where it was the other way around, right? Like they came through a physical situation. They did all the sunlight and all the food and all the things and everything to do with their body. But when it came to their thoughts and feelings, it was mm-hmm. like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm, I'm eating my stirs and seeing the sunrise. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'm just interested because you've had so much experience with different people, sort of your thoughts on that, and how to kind of like gently, you know, because I would prefer to notice by blind spot before it gets really bad is what I would this point in life, I would prefer that, yeah, so help us understand how to do that.
1: Yeah, I was just thinking this would be a great study as a qualitative researcher, just to interview people. And mm, really what yeah. a great thing to think about is like, how do people come to their healing? Almost everyone, it's when the poop is hitting the fan. Like they yeah. so, they only reach out to when it's really bad um, because we are yeah. super resilient creatures. We will just keep going. We are sort of designed that way. And so usually it's either their pain is too high Somebody they loves pain is really high Mm -hmm. and they're trying to help them Mm -hmm. um, or they somehow get inspired by somebody else's story and get curious about it and just want to know more. Rarely is anybody feel really good and think, Hey, I wonder if (laughs) (laughs) I think I did. I was like, I wonder if I could be even better than this. You know I mean? So it's sometimes just curiosity for people, but usually it's when people are in pain and to pivot out of that. I don't, I don't know that there's another way out. Um, I, I think that's as good a way as any. Yeah. Of course, I would love to be aware of my blind spots um, before they hit me, before I hit yeah. something. And then I'm like, I have to pay attention to it. And I think the only way to be aware of blind spots is to know that you've got blind spots. We all do. And the look, look like keep your eyes open, stay curious about what might be the next blind spot for me. Yeah, and if you get defensive, this is really interesting. I saw this more with nutritional therapy than anything. When people get really defensive, that's usually because you've hit on some truth that somebody doesn't want to doesn't want to. And so you're brave enough to notice when you get defensive that's probably an area of needed healing.
0: Right, Mm -hmm. yes, Mm -hmm. because that defense is like, that's my (laughs) denial, don't, we're not going there.
1: Not going there, (laughs) you're not taking that from me. You're not taking my sweet potatoes from me. That was, I was like, not trying to, Um, you know, but you just point, when somebody just points something out and you Mm -hmm. get like a big reaction, I think Eckhart to- totally, totally that pain body. It's yeah. some unresolved thing. That's just asking for you to look at it and be healed. If you want, we don't have to, that's the great yes. thing.
0: You can keep, yeah.
1: keep the blinders on and
0: we all have free will. We can <laughs> stay wherever we want. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah. And I have found that Yeah. It's like when you're in pain, your pain tolerance is very high. Then as you heal it, you're like, oh, I don't don't really want to feel that much pain anymore, whether it's physical or emotional. So I, yeah, we become I would say more sort of adaptable or willing to Uh Mm -hmm. uh, look at different ways. And it does, it does sneak up on you. So I had this um, healing journey with my chronic fatigue and, mm-hmm. and you've covered like so much of my story. Like I was sleeping 10 hours a night. I would fall asleep instantly and sleeps 10 hours straight. Right. Everyone's like, Oh, great. You're getting a lot like, but I would wake up feeling exhausted all mm-hmm. the time. It was never enough. Like there was, it was like, there was never enough sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, I yeah, I did the food and the supplements and the thing I got like very frustrated with that. Cause I also have kind of like an ADD brain. And so this micromanaging food is like my kryptonite. Like it literally makes me want to cry <laughs> Like grocery shopping with a list to a recipe list. is like, like my head explodes. So I've started looking for other things. And then I found the quantum strategies, quantum biology. I started to implement those. And over time, it took a while so it took a while to get in the hole. It took a while to get out, but like I can sleep nine hours a night and wake up and have a great day. Uh So, but then I would like have relapses and I'm like, but every, my circadian rhythm is so good. And so Mm -hmm. it was suggested to me that I get it. I get an aura ring and I'm like, no, I don't want an aura ring. I know my sleep, I'm good. It's just going to tell me to exercise more. (laughs) I don't want that stupid thing. (laughs) But anyway, I just decided, oh, my husband just bought it for me. So I'm like, all right, fine, I'll wear it. And wouldn't you know, this mm. stupid aura ring showed me my blind spot, which was that I was so excited to have my energy back. I was totally overcommitting committing myself. <laughs> and the ring, which I thought was that would say exercise more and go to bed earlier, was like, rest, didn't rest enough. Uh-huh, isn't that funny? I'm like, what? <laughs> so I like, you get your health back, but then your other things kick in, right? So I was like going into energy debt. Right. So I was so excited to have the energy. I just would fill up my day, top to bottom, without stopping. And I didn't even know it till this stupid software program <laughs> on my finger. Yeah. Well, it was another moment, right? It's like the blind spot. Mm-hmm. You know, we always have to be available for the needs of the moment, I guess.
1: Yeah. And you can call it stupid if you want. Or the person that brings up something and you're like, that stupid person told me that I've got to work on my negativity, that I'm too negative or, you know, or something like I'm not, I'm just keeping it real people. Um, (laughs) You might, right. It's, it might be the blind spot. So wherever it comes from, and you don't have to necessarily be happy about it, but when it hits, you know, it, you know it. And you're like, okay, okay. I can look at this. I, this is a blind spot. I got it. I mean, uh, I love yeah. that example though, because it will. And a lot of people will have anxiety, like residual anxiety. They feel great. And, th- and then they get really worried that the anxiety is going to come back. So now they're, yeah. or the fatigue is going to come back or whatever has been going on. And you, that is normal to kind of have that experience. right? Um, but it also could be that you know, they're overdoing something or whatever, but, but that's normal to have that kind of like, oh no, what will I do if this comes back for a little while? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think that actually reminds me of something that I think is worth talking about in this conversation, which is that, so we talked about like how we, we find our healing through what's causing us the most pain. And then sometimes we get super attached to whatever alleviated that pain. I think you see this most commonly with food dogma.
1: Right. (laughs) Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yep. All the time.
0: Yep. Yeah. This diet, but it could, it could also be, you know, with even circadian stuff, right? Like this is the only thing that, you know. Um, And then I think with that, You know, we get very attached to whatever got us better. Then we we become big advocates of that. And then when we do have these moments of dips or things come up, and now we're back to where we started—is with the shame, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, but I I, like I'm the circadian lady. Like I should never have a bad energy day, (laughs) or whatever. We're telling ourselves, or we're comparing ourselves to people on Instagram who we think are perfect.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm very familiar with doing that. Don't do that. It's not, not a good practice, Right, but they're all going to do that. And I think, you know, I'm, uh, I think to always just stay open to, I, I don't, I know not everybody is curious. Like curiosity is one of my signature strengths. That's just kind of yeah. how I am. Totally.
0: Like,
1: so I get my, like, you know, some people are not going to, that's just not their thing. and at some level, you've got to stay curious. I mean, that's the whole point about shame resilience is staying curious about what's actually happening. Whatever the emotions are that are coming up, the thoughts that are coming up, the behaviors that are showing up, it's to stay curious about it. And, and even to be able to talk about that a little bit in some place where that is comfortable to do. But yeah, if we're not gonna, if we're not gonna keep evolving and trying different things and seeing what works. And I know that different seasons are going to bring different things. And I've seen almost always it's some emotion that somebody is not wanting to look at. They're shoving down.
0: Yeah.
1: It's, um, could be trauma, but almost always it's some emotion that, and people are sometimes surprised by it. I myself, I um, just had grief come up big time grief. And I didn't realize I was carrying around that much grief. And it's yeah. not surprising, you know, I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. But it didn't occur to me that yes. I was around that much grief. My my thoughts yes. weren't grief related. My behavior yeah. wasn't grief related. So when it came up, it was a little surprising. But the mm-hmm. clearing that happened once it came up and I was like, oh, there it is. And, you know, did a little bit of work with it. Talked to a ther- my therapist about it and said, this is what's come up for me. It didn't yes. take much. It was just feeling it. And then there was a clearing. So,
0: you know. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that again, I think speaks to being incoherence, right? And being circadian mm-hmm. regulated. And, and so mm-hmm. when we, it's not that we don't have these huge emotions, it's that right. they can move through us because our system is coherent.
1: Exactly. Coherence is the big, and that's the key, right? You want coherence. And so, and there are tools to figure that out, but you can also just live more in balance with nature. Right. And have that happen. So, right. yeah.
0: Yes. And so when we, when someone does move to living in a circadian regulated way or a quantum regulated way, and we do move into that space of safety, would it be fair to expect some of these emotions are going to come? Because- Oh, that's a good now. Point. there's a safe place for it. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. That things that have been shoved down forever are going to come out. Um, yes, I have seen that. And often people are surprised that their immune system is so connected to their emotions. So when mm-hmm. you're trying to shove things down, you'll get more immune system responses to things where you're, you know, GI issues, all kinds of stuff. And once, I don't know, the cat's out of the bag or however you can look at that, the emotions you you start to realize, then people can feel a whole lot better because things are actually coming up and out. But sometimes it could come out in a way that um, people aren't expecting. They might be angrier than usual because they've been shoving anger down for a long time. Right. They might be sad or, yeah. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. And it's okay it It usually passes relatively quickly, and you learn to ride the waves mm-hmm. of of these different emotions and then you learn that your joy is deeper, and that your experience of happiness is deeper because mm. you can't just shove down the bad one. We're sort of numbing all yes. of them right at the same time. And so your experience of of feeling joy will also go up, which is nice,
0: yes because i always love the um the metaphor i think it's a great visual right it's like trying to hold a beach ball underwater mm-hmm. that was the a metaphor that was given to me at one point right with those emotions it's like trying to and it's like even when you're successful you're still working really hard really hard to keep yeah. that ball underwater and mm-hmm. yeah so what you're saying is we can be in coherence and in a safe place and just let those feelings out and right. we can like Right. float on the water maybe without having to hold all those balls down
1: well and i i think of most people use a float as that and you're trying to shove it and then it'll pop up in places you know yes, <laughs> it takes right. so much energy to hold the whole thing down right as opposed to actually riding the waves and not holding that stuff down but then you become yeah. more and more appropriate with your behavior everything when you're in coherence it sounds like we're saying incoherent but we're saying you're in Coherence, you're coherent (laughs) with that everything, your behavior starts to actually be more appropriate for what's happening. You're able to, I guess, handle life on life's terms. You have the inner to meet life where it is. And when something's sad, you look sad and you feel sad. Mm -hmm. And then it passes and you have joy. I mean, it's As opposed to laughing when everyone else is really sad, or you know, some things Mm -hmm. when you're trying to shove things down, weird things pop up when when you're not trying to have that pop up. So,
0: right. The other benefit, yeah, and you can go to work or go wherever you need to go and like deal with the world as it is, and then have it because you do have a safe space. Mm -hmm. You're circadian regulated. We Mm have you have you understand what a safe person is. Like I can talk to, to this person and tell them some stuff. They'll meet me with empathy. I can move on. This mm-hmm. person, not so much. Not much.
1: <laughs> I know. Yeah. And yeah, we could talk about that too. Like sometimes that's disappointing because mm-hmm. it's something you think is going to be able to handle it and they can't. Right. And, that, and just to know that that hurts and that's disappointing, but that's not, you don't quit trying to find your people at that point you just know that's not the person you're gonna open to about that yeah
0: and even like different people for different things like what I've learned over the last few years is that people who are deeply empathetic to my personal experience are not that interested in my opinions on things (laughs) Mm -hmm. right like there's certain areas and I'm like I can't believe they didn't listen to me and I'm like oh I've never tried to talk them about anything outside of my personal experience before, and now I'm trying to talk to them about things happening in the world, and it's like, oh, that mm-hmm. wasn't the like I'm the one that changed the terms of the relationship by by bringing in whatever COVID or whatever I was trying to <laughs> yeah. get off my chest.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, and that could be a blind spot for a bit where people have to navigate that, right?
0: Yes. Yeah, but what you were saying earlier about like being able to basically like take responsibility, right? Like I can create the safe space that I need. And so my feelings were hurt. But then when I really thought about it, I was like, no, I'm the one that changed the rules, right? Like that's what I that was my safe person from my emotional experience. But that we've never talked about (laughs) politen. Like that's not part of the game. Right.
1: Exactly. And that kind of taking responsibility and seeing clearly. I don't think that happens easily unless you are clearing, like you're cleaning yourself. Yeah. With the quantum health strategies, like your brain fog needs to be lifted for you to be able to think through that.
0: To, yes. You
1: know, to have your feelings hurt and then go, okay, well, I actually changed the
0: terms. So yeah,
1: Yeah, that's, it's harder to do when you're all mucky.
0: Yes mucky and reactive and scared and yeah mm-hmm. not feeling safe so then when someone responds to you in a way it's like much more triggering uh huh because you don't have a, a safe space to return to within yourself
1: right mm-hmm.
0: that's it that's, that's it how that
1: works <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: so every yeah everything works everything together all of it mm-hmm. um yeah wow. So that was really fun. <laughs> I know. Least, it's fun to see where we go. I know. I never know where it's going to be. So any, is, do you have any final thoughts or anything that's coming to you? Anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover something that whatever is there for you, you'd like to say before we wrap.
1: Only thing that's like really like screaming in my head is that it it is all love. Like the frequency of love is actually what we're after consistently having that frequency of love. And that's the only thing that was kept coming in my mind of like, and this quantum Mm. being quantumly connected and finding your people and finding your safety signals, you know, getting yourself in places where you can feel safe. Yeah. Um, I know that's kind of a that can mean a lot of things to people i'm just talking about going barefoot in the in the you know a pile of dirt or some grass but um how important that is that 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 really is love is the medicine and that these the safety signals are the way to have the frequency of love
0: beautiful
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah yeah that's it. i love that that's perfect perfect place to end thank you so much Kelly. Thank you. What a beautiful conversation. (laughs) (laughs) This has been the quantum biology collective podcast to find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely take a look at the applied quantum biology certification. A six week study of the science of the new human health paradigm and its practical application with your patients and clients. We also love to feature graduates of the program on this very podcast. Until next time, the QBC.